Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind the scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lions Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. When you think about the words pleasure and power, what comes to mind? If you're a fan, you know my answer will always be the magic wand. As the world's first ever and best-selling massage wand, the magic wand's familiar shape and legendary power have made magic wand a cultural icon. Revered by millions, it transcends planes of culture and gender. Its impact is so great that Time Magazine included it on its list of the most influential gadgets of all time. Want to get in on the fun? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand. A premium razor and a clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? What? Why hasn't that been thought of before? Well, Freya did. So you've had a long day and all you want to do is take a flight to Pleasure Town, but ugh. You have to shave before a busy day tomorrow. The game plan? Get an amazing shave with Freya's premium razor filled with aloe and vitamin E shave soap. You can subscribe the replaceable blades for just $9.99 for a four-pack. And then, okay, ready for this? Remove the razor head, hang it on the wall holder, click the power button, and use the handle as a clitoral vibrator. Freya just put the genius in G-Spot. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya now. And for a limited time, you can enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexheadwithdb now. So, you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, UberLube. UberLube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, UberLube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed, so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Hello, Helen. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Thanks for having me here and 
Of course. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. As I mentioned offline just before this interview, you were the one and only and the first, in my mind, romance novelist that I wanted to chat with today and reached out to. And I'm so glad that you were down to talk about yourself and your books. And I would love it if we can just get started. You can just share with the listeners, you know, your introduction and just tell us all about your books. Okay. Well, it, it's an honor to be your first romance author here. Um, so my name is Helen Huang, and I write romance that so far has featured characters on the autism spectrum. The trilogy of books starts with one called The Kiss Quotient. I think that's the, the short part, the short way to say it. Yeah. Amazing. And tell me a little bit about your journey? Like, how did you become an author? Like, how did you figure out you wanted to write romance? Have you always been a romance reader? Like, give me give me all the deets. So I started reading romance, I think, in eighth grade. So that's pretty okay. young. And the first books I read were, you know, like Flowers in the Attic. I don't know if you read that. I haven't it, read that one. It's like a book for kids, but it has romance, but it's kind of horror because it's incestuous. It's it's anyway, but it was just riveting to me as a, as a, a kid. Though I, I'm curious like how people thought that was good reading for children. But anyway. Um, You're like looking back, something was off there. <laughs> a little bit. So I started reading those and, and I I remember that what I loved was the the love story in there, as wrong as it was in those books. I mean, if, if it's wrong, I mean, if we're open-minded humans, I guess it doesn't matter. But, um, sure. but so I remember reading uh, horror books and mystery books and realizing that I wanted more love stories. And, and so then I biked to Kmart when I was in eighth grade and I looked in the romance section and I, I, got one and I brought it home and I remember reading it and thinking, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> Riveting. Eighth grade. And I have loved romance ever since. And I started, I think I tried to write romance novels in high school. And I remember I would write and I would give it to my dad to read. <laughs> Just looking back is maybe not what you want to do with your romance that you're writing, you know, when you're a kid. Hey, and... No judgment. I mean, you, <laughs> that clearly you had a good relationship with your dad that you're able to to share your work with him. So that's kind of cool. Maybe. Yeah. I just didn't know any better. And it, anyway, I, so I started trying to write one in, in high school and, you know, life happened and I kind of returned to romance when I was working in my first job after college. And I hated it. And I was in the office and I hated just all of the office life. And I turned to romance to escape. And, but it wasn't until I had my first kids that uh, my first kid, one kid at first, and then another one that I started to write more seriously. And, and then when I finished something, I, you know, I queried it and got an, well, got an agent, but I was also in a contest called Pitch Wars, which they don't have anymore. Oh my God. Tell me all about this contest. Is that, tell, is that how you like kind of got your start in the yeah. beginning or yeah. Give me, yeah. give me some deets on that. I'm curious. So they they used to have this contest called pitch wars and you would enter your manuscript. And if you got selected, then you would be mentored um, by an experienced writer in your genre. And I managed to get picked um, by Brighton Walsh and she read my manuscript, which was the Kiss Quotient, an early version. 
and she helped me make it better. And after, a, I don't know, several months of revising, uh, there was an agent round for pitch wars and agents went and looked at our pitches and the first pages. And I didn't find my agent that way, but it did really help me learn a lot. And from there, I did eventually find an agent and and she hooked me up with my editor who's at Penguin and Berkeley. And, and then in the rest is just, yeah, <laughs> here we are. Wow. Okay. So that's really where maybe it started for you in terms of propelling your authorship career forward after this contest. Yeah. And it, and it really helped that I had a mentor to kind of hold my hand and guide me through the process of helping me pick an agent based on the offers that I had. Or she also helped curate the list of agents that I queried. And so from there, you know, I got multiple offers and she helped me pick which one she thought was the best. And then after that, she kind of helped set my expectations as we were going towards the submission process to editors and then what the editing process was like. It was just, she was there with me every step of the way and it was really great. She's That's a, so wonderful. She's yeah. remained my friend since then. That's lovely. Yeah. And there's a lot, people don't realize like what the back end of like writing a book is like and like all of the intense work and, you know, all the layers that are part of it. There are all these pieces. If you're not self-publishing a book and you're, you know, being repped by an agent and, you know, a publisher and there's like, it could be competitive and you're trying to figure out multiple offers if you're lucky and, you know, there's so much behind it. So that's a really fascinating backstory. So I'm wondering if you can get into the trilogy and tell me a little bit more about the characters and the themes and really the story, um, if you could set the scene for us. So the first book, uh, The Kiss Quotient, is about a heroine named Stella, who's on the autism spectrum, and she decides to get help in the bedroom by hiring an escort to teach her the ropes. So that was where it started. And the rest of the books also feature, you know, autistic main characters. Though the first book was, it was kind of a life-changing event process for me. I remember that I had been considering writing kind of a gender-swapped pretty woman for a long time. And And I didn't know why a beautiful, successful woman would want to hire a male escort. Why would she need to? And that just kind of rattled around in my head for several months. And I, it wasn't until I had a talk with my daughter's preschool teacher. The preschool teacher told me that she thought my daughter was on the autism spectrum because they were having struggles in class. And I looked into autism because I didn't know anything about it. And I, I remember I looked into it and I thought, you know, this doesn't sound like my kid. This this, this sounds like, you know... Basically, it was the stereotypical impression that you get from watching TV and stuff. It's all men and they have, you know, they like trains and things like that. And and, and so I thought, no, this isn't right. But the more I looked into it, I found this book called Asperger's. So it looks specifically at autism in women because they used to call it Asperger's syndrome, at least for um, certain subsets of people. And 
the more I learned about that, <laughs> as I was reading that book, I remember I had all these eerie moments where I thought, whoa, whoa, this is, this is, this is too familiar. This, this isn't just somebody they're talking about. This is, this could be me. And from there, things started to really click into place. Like, oh, I, I might be on the autism spectrum. My daughter might be. And, and then I kind of had this aha moment, where, of course, because I'm always thinking of romance novels. I was like, oh, that, that gender swapped pretty woman. Uh, it makes sense now. If she was on the autism spectrum, then it makes perfect sense why she would need to hire somebody to help her with intimacy because she's horrible at it in real life and she could use, you know, a, a guide to take her through it, which I remember that being something I wish I could have. Had. I was going to ask, like, do you feel like your experiences, you know, maybe like before you found your partner, before you have your kids, or even currently, like, do, do they match up with Stella's, your heroine's experience? Well, I remember just being very lost when it came to intimacy, and I didn't know how to verbalize anything because. Uh, you know, I, I think we're sh- we're taught to be ashamed of sex and of our own needs, and and everything's supposed to be really hush hush. And and I even remember I had read a bunch of romance novels growing up, and somehow in the books, the men just always knew what to do, and the women just always enjoyed it. And, mm. and that wasn't my experience. Like the, right. you know, my husband and I, when we first started, we didn't have a ton of experience. My husband had had one partner before me and I hadn't had any. And we were just fumbling along trying to figure things out. So I don't know, when I, when I wrote the book, I was kind of, it was, you know, trying to put all this frustration in, into and create a fantasy setting where things work out. But I think uh, my second book, I, it mirrors the my personal frustration of not knowing anything much better because the hero is a virgin and he, he does it the first time and it, everything goes awfully. And there's a scene in the book where they're, they're asking, his brothers are asking him about the clitoris and he says, what's that? And, and he thinks it's like, what? It sounds like a chupacabra. I've never heard of it. It sounds like a fantasy. It can't be real. So that was more like my experience. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, so maybe some of the awkward moments that you've experienced, you're kind of imbuing uh, for yeah. your characters to experience. And yeah, I feel like overall, like speaking of romance novels, right? Like overall, it feels like on social media, on book talk, aka, AKA book TikTok, there feels like, you know, there's a change, right? There's like more and more people, especially women, who are talking about reading romance novels and spicy books, as we call them, and not only in their, you know, the privacy of their own homes, but in public, uh, you know, just out and about. And it's it's becoming more and more normal. I'm wondering if that's something that you've noticed too. And if so, like, what do you make of this? So uh, I'm not on TikTok because that's not another addiction that I need. Um, but <laughs> Fair. but I, I, I think I have seen, I mean, if you look at the bestseller charts right now, romance is having a moment. And I, I think that's great that people can read it and not be ashamed. Because, you know, I was reading romance since eighth grade. And I remember I brought a romance novel to school with me. Uh, what, when I, maybe in ninth grade or something like that. And, and I got picked on. And kids made fun of me. They they were saying, oh, you're reading that. And, 
you know, I remember thinking, do you, why do you look down on this? This is, this book is awesome. Yeah, um, like you're I, missing out. You're missing out and you're making fun of me because you don't like sex or you have an impression in your mind that sex is bad or, you know, you're just, it just felt like, I guess I felt kind of bad for them that they thought that way and that they were denying themselves something wonderful because of closed mindedness. Wow. That's like a very astute observation at that age. Yeah. Well, I didn't think of it that clearly, but <laughs> sure. that was you know, looking back. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. But you know, they were missing out. So. Totally. Yeah. And in terms of now, like, do you have any theories as to why romance is maybe at the top of the bestseller list? I think maybe some of it had to do with Bridgerton being so successful because mm. it went on Netflix and people were just losing their hats. They loved it. And I think that might have been part of it. Um, and then with the pandemic coming and people needing an escape and they wanted to read and they wanted to feel good. And I think that's what romance is for. Romance is an escape that takes you away. It's an emotional experience. A lot of times it can be fun and happy, but it's also, you know, dramatic and this emotional experience that that can just completely rivet you. And and also it's an it's a physical experience, which often is like it's wonderful when you're you're, you're reading and your body is responding and, and you're just having this entire moment where you're completely lost in the book because it's it stimulates your brain, it stimulates your body, it stimulates every part of you, your, your emotions. And it's just a special experience to be that engaged in, in a story, I think. And that's something special to the romance genre, I think, because I, I mean, I think a lot of books, they don't engage all of you, which romance is not ashamed to do. And so I, I love that romance is having a moment and I hope that it lasts. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I'm like shaking my head because I have so, I am in so much agreement with you. I think I'm a big fan of Sally Rooney and her books and most recently read uh, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And I very much felt everything that you're talking about, this like stimulation of the brain, like a physical sensation. There are a lot of steamy sex scenes, but for me also, it's like, not only, and again, maybe maybe you have more stats on this than I do when it comes to who's writing these novels. My assumption is that most of them are women or non-binary folks, queer folks. Is that, would you concur? I, I think romance is dominated by female authors. I think so too. Yeah. And so I wonder if, you know, women or folks who identify with these books, even if they're not women, are more into them than watching movies or TV shows in some sense, because the sex scenes and the relationships that we're reading are written by women and like mimic our experiences. Whereas like in a lot of TV sex scenes or movies, this is changing nowadays, but very much like in the nineties, early two thousands, even up until like a couple of years ago, many of the writers in these writing rooms are men. And like these sex scenes, in my opinion, generally don't mimic my personal real life experience. Yeah, I think there might be something there. I, I remember I had a conversation about this with my friend. He's a guy, he's an anthropologist. And so we like to have conversations like this. And he was saying that he thinks that women have a, have this is generally speaking, that women have more of ability to verbalize our emotions 
than men. And, mm-hmm. and that's what makes stories written by women especially captivating because we have that verbal ability to really tap into our interior landscape that male authors do and can have. But I just think that generally speaking, if we're allowed to speak generally, that women might have a leg up in that area. And so we do it and we're good at it. Yeah. We're definitely more conditioned (laughs) and like societal expectations, you know, uh, comparing, you know, cis men and cis women when it comes to verbalizing our emotions. Like there are different expectations and young girls are taught more to say how you're feeling and young (laughs) boys, again, generally speaking, you know, have this societal expectation to just like deal with it rather than being able to describe what exactly is happening. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code sexedwithdb at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Here are my top three favorite things I love about Uberlube. Number one, Uberlube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, Uberlube is recommended by leading doctors and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, Uberlube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Let's talk about butt acne. Not what you expected me to say, huh? Well, we're here now, so let's get into it. I personally struggle with butt acne, and it really brings down my self-confidence sometimes. One thing that has really helped me is the butt and body scrub by Future Method. Future Method is science-backed and doctor-led, so I know I can trust them. Their quick and gentle exfoliating booty scrub cleanser is great to use on your body and between your butt cheeks. Its doctor-approved ingredients are infused with a refreshing and invigorating hit of citrus, clove, and cedar to soften, smooth, and tone your skin. Get yours now at futuremethod.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout. Finally, we can travel again. If you're like me, I bet you want a little pleasure while you're away, but can't fit your entire sex toy collection in your carry-on, huh? Say hello to the Magic Wand Mini. Born into such a famous family, this little wand has quite a reputation to uphold. Challenge accepted. Offering big power, multiple speeds, and unsurpassed quality, the full-featured Magic Wand Mini is more than simply a smaller sibling. It's here to create a legacy all its own. Want to win a Magic Wand Mini for your next trip or staycation? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more. What do I love about my Freya? The incredible razor and clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? Let me count the ways. 
I love that when I'm already in the shower getting clean, it's super easy for me to grab my Freya and give myself some serious loving. I love that I don't need to get out of bed, clean my toy, and get out of the mood. As soon as the mood strikes, my Freya is right there to play with. And I love the smooth, clean shave it gives. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, enter to buy one Freya, get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. Moving back a little bit to the kiss quotient, I kind of want to touch on, you know, you shared Stella as a character with autism, navigating intimacy. You know, you are sharing like you figured out and are maybe in an evergreen discovery about your, (laughs) you know, your experience as someone who is on the autism spectrum. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, why like writing this book and why it's so important to have characters like Stella who aren't maybe on the autism spectrum can learn from? So one thing that I learned, I wasn't diagnosed with autism until later in life. I think I was 30, 34 at the time. So I, I didn't know that there was like this societal expectation that people who are on the autism spectrum should be kind of sexless that Mm. someone had told me that it's disrespectful to write autistic people having sex because, you know, they have a disability. And when you write this, it's wrong. And me post-diagnosis, I was blown away by this because I had spent my entire life as a person Uh, And I had grown into an adult and I had wanted to have sex. I loved reading about it. And I had two kids naturally. And that was just part of being a human. And so I was, I was completely shocked when I learned that people thought that this was something that shouldn't be talked about with autistic people, that it was dirty somehow to write autistic people with this type of humanity. And and so I wrote my book completely without that shame because I was writing her as a person. I was writing her, you know, the way I wanted, you know, to experience things. And so I think it's extremely important to write all people having human experiences and 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 definitely when you're getting to the point where you want to infantilize people, I think it's important to double think that even if it's coming from a good place just to remember that we all may want to have the same experiences yeah wow that's powerful to be like no i didn't really even think about that cuz i wasn't on my radar <laughs> and like you know even for me to assume that that was something that you were thinking about is like another part of like my own privilege i think to just assume that that was like an active choice rather than you just being like no, I just am writing about my experience and like, that's cool too. There are a lot of um, autistic people who are not sexual and that's fair. They they are asexual and they're happy with their lives um, the way it is. And But then there are autistic people and a lot of them who want to be in relationships, who want love, who want sex. And I think that denying them that is not a kindness. Totally. 
Yeah. I'm wondering if you, have you seen the show on Netflix, Extraordinary Attorney Wu? I have heard a lot about it. I haven't watched it yet because I'm really behind on TV. Okay, um, fair. But I, I've, I've wanted to watch it. Uh, I've heard good things. Yeah, I'd be curious to just get your take on it. I've been watching it for listeners who have never heard of it. It's a Netflix show. It's a Korean show uh, and it's fully in Korean. So when I watch, I watch with English subtitles. And it is about a lawyer who is on the autism spectrum in Korea. And it's kind of like a love story of like her kind of like falling for like this main hot guy of the series. And he's also falling for her. And I do think in, you know, I've read like a couple reviews on both sides of the aisle of people being like, oh, here's what it does right. Here's what it does wrong. But I personally have never seen a depiction of a main character with autism who has permission just by way of the writing to have a a love story with someone who isn't neurodivergent with someone who's neurotypical. And I thought that that was a little groundbreaking to me to be watching that. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch it when I ever have time. Yeah. And, (laughs) And she's like super charming. And there's this really fun theme throughout the show where she is obsessed with whales. Like she's just like, (laughs) just clung on to that. And there's a lot of really beautiful like graphics and imagery. And she just like has such an amazing memory. Um, I feel like I'm learning a lot also just generally about like folks who are on the autism spectrum and the ways in which that their brains are different from other people in that they have a lot of talents in some cases that other folks don't. And I think it's, it's interesting to to watch her. And again, I don't know if she in real life has autism or if she doesn't, but I think I'm really enjoying the show. And I think it's a a really different depiction of someone on the spectrum than I've ever seen. Yeah. I've definitely seen a lot of, you know, Rain Man kind of things. Right. It's nice to see something different. Yeah. I haven't seen that film, Um, (laughs) but I think that's the most famous depiction, right? Um, Of someone on the spectrum. That and uh, Big Bang Theory, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Sheldon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have never been a Big Bang uh, fan. I think that's for my parents or like uh-huh. for, I don't know, there are some younger people who like it, but I've just never never been drawn to it. Backing up a little bit, I, I want to know, you mentioned, you know, your first experience with a romance novel was in eighth grade. What was your sex ed like growing up? And like, did you learn at all about folks who were on the autism spectrum or other disabilities? No, I, I think I didn't learn until about, you know, sex until health class in elementary school, probably the fifth grade class. And, you know, they they set you down in the room and they watch, you watch the video where the sperm finds the egg and all that stuff. And I never learned about uh, people with disabilities having sex or anything like that. So it wasn't until I was researching uh, for this book, I, I or for the Kiss Quotient, where I heard about, I guess in Australia, it's legal to hire a sex helper if you have a disability and they can assist you for that aspect. And I think that's that's really groundbreaking to me that there's that understanding that you know this is a this is a human need and that it's not wrong to 
try to find help with that in whatever way you can. And I think the work is, I mean, it kind of makes the work pretty noble, doesn't it? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. If you're helping someone like learn yeah. about intimacy and their body and giving them pleasure. I mean, yeah. I just think that in general for sex work, I think there's obviously in America, like so much shame. And so it's so loaded, the idea of sex work. Yeah. Um, it's very conflated with sex trafficking in our laws, in our conversations. And that is simply not true. And so many sex workers really love what they do and have pride in like being able to use their their bodies um, in that way and have great relationships with their clients and X, Y, and Z. And so it should be no different, you know, for folks who have disabilities and maybe otherwise, you know, maybe they do have relationships outside of that, but maybe in order to learn more or to practice uh, yeah. or to yeah, like get more acquainted with a partner when it comes to intimacy and be able to understand a little bit more. Yeah. So I was blown away. I thought that was a really cool concept, but it, that wasn't the one for my book, but it was, it was very interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about, you kind of went and mentioned the second book, but I'm curious about the third book as well. Just if you can talk a little bit about what those second and third books are about. So the second book is about a, an autistic man who believes that he can't love and his mom kind of takes matters into her own hands and gets him a mail order bride from Vietnam so that he can, you know, be with her and find love. That that one has the really awkward sex scene in it, <laughs> which they, there's a scene in there where he's talking about how he screwed that up with his brother and his cousin. And, and I just loved writing that scene. I remember <laughs> I wrote it and I, I was laughing the whole time I wrote it because I was like, this is what it was like for me. I had no <laughs> idea. I remember I didn't learn what a clitoris was until my brother was talking to my sisters and he used that word. And I said, what is that? And he said, are you serious? So I learned what it was from my brother. And that was so embarrassing. Yeah. And, and I think that's like a huge problem with, you know, just the world in general that, that I could have learned what that was. I think I was in college at the time. I learned in college what a clitoris was from my brother. And that's just horrible. It should not be like that. It should really shouldn't. So that, yeah, that, that was the second book. And the third book is called The Heart Principle, which was a really hard book to write. But the intimacy scenes in that book, I think they really spoke to, to shame that we have over asking for what we want and shame that people will think poorly of us. And so she really goes through this journey of trying to vocalize what she needs because she has specific things that she needs in bed in order to enjoy it. And it's about her going through that and, and learning to, to speak up. And, you know, the hero has issues of his own and it's about him letting go as well. And, and I, I think that that's important in general, not even in bed, but out of it, that you should be able to speak up, advocate for yourself, ask for what you want and not be ashamed. So that was that book. <laughs> it was yeah, totally. I completely agree with the idea of needing to speak up. I feel like there's this idea when we are intimate with someone else that they know what they're doing and we have yeah. no idea. And the reality is, is that every experience with a new person is 
a completely blank slate. There's a lot of communication and uh, kind of like kind confidence that is needed in order to make it happen. Um, you know, curiosity, asking what the other person wants, constantly checking in, making sure you're getting consent. These are all things that, again, like we should be taught in school and yeah. we should be taught at home with our families. But the idea of it is so uncomfortable for so many people and it is not a part of our school curriculum and expectations and therefore nobody has this information. And so people are figuring it out for themselves, watching movies, reading books, you know, talking with their friends about it. And many people feel like they're stumbling through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough for everyone. I I remember when I was having, when I had a baby and I was learning to breastfeed my baby. And I remember like, there's this expectation that you're going to have a baby and you're just going to naturally know how to feed your baby because we're humans and it's instinct and we're made to do this. But actually the reality is it's, it's actually hard to breastfeed your kid. Sometimes you don't know how, and like the baby bites you and it hurts and you kind of have to work through and they have lactation consultants who will help you learn how to feed your baby and work with you until you get it right and right enough for you that it works. And I think that's something that also translates to intimacy, sex, all that kind of stuff is that it may be a natural thing to do, but to do it in an enjoyable way, it's not something that you're born knowing and sometimes practice makes perfect. And sometimes you need to have help <laughs> getting there. And and I think like, it's just a sign of how messy it is to be a human that nothing is perfect. And we're all messy and screwed up. <laughs> yes, totally. Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad that you mentioned that too. Because yeah, we haven't really had like too many new mother or new parent specific episodes on here. So it's really yeah. helpful to to hear that perspective from you as well. This has been so lovely. I'm really appreciative again of you coming on and sharing your story. I didn't mention this in the beginning, but I did listen to the first chapter of the Kiss Quotient on audiobook <laughs> and I'm looking forward to, to continuing it. Oh, thank you. But I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what you're working on now. Uh, like what's next for you and you know, where can our listeners find you and get your books? So every time I say what I'm working on, <laughs> I end up changing it. So I probably <laughs> shouldn't say what I'm working on. I, I did I did take a hiatus after the my last book because that one was really hard on me. I had mental health issues and mm. it just it's taken me a long time to get better. And I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure to write books that are important and books that are fun still or books that are gripping and relevant. And I think that um, the thing that I want to work on is none of those things. So sure. we'll just see what, we'll see where it takes me. Um, yeah. I hope that if I do diverge from the type of work that I wrote in the past that some of my readers will follow me on the journey. <laughs> we'll see. I definitely think they will. So I'm on Instagram uh, sporadically. So if pe- people... <laughs> You're my, like, I guess. <laughs> I guess my, check me out there. <laughs> yeah. I, it's yeah. Instagram, H. Huang writes. My profile picture is currently Gandalf. 
So I think I think Amazing. when I chose that picture, a bunch of people unfollowed me. But that's actually <laughs> that's me. It's, I'm Gandalf um, for now. And anyway, so yeah, that, I, Instagram. I am on Facebook, but I I don't like it as much. I don't like Zuckerberg, but also he owns Instagram, so it's not like it matters. I know. I hear you. It's just like um, we can't win here with Elon <laughs> on Twitter and yeah. Mark Zuckerberg owning Facebook and Instagram. It's it's a lot. Yes, but not on TikTok. Yet, I don't know if I can ever handle that. I don't know what I would even do there. So that's fair. Maybe it's just not for you. I mean, where <laughs> where do people like when people buy your books? Do they usually find you online, or you're in local like, like folks' local bookstores? What's like the typical there? I think about half of my sales are ebooks. Okay. So so probably Amazon. Okay. So folks, if you want to check out Helen's books, we have a trilogy. You have you have many options here. You have The Kiss Quotient, you have The Bride Test, and you have The Heart Principle. Please check them out. And Helen, thank you so, so much for being on today. It's been so wonderful having you. Thank you. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our co-producer is Brian Peoples. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.